Amen. Well, I invite you then uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 11. This passage on uh, motherhood, femininity, being a mother, Mother's Day. Paul's writing to the letter, this letter to the Corinthians. And the way the letter breaks down is it's a series, almost a grocery list of questions and answers. This church has lots of problems they're trying to deal with. And when you actually read through the letter, it almost reads as a miscellaneous uh, list of things they just need answers to. And when we come to chapter 11, it comes to the problem of head coverings, which was an issue they dealt with in their church. And Paul writes this, he says, Now I commend you, well first be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And then he transitions to say, Now I commend you, because you remember me in everything, and maintain the traditions, even as I delivered them to you. That I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of wife of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For a man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. And you're just like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, interdependence, not dominance, it's a dance. And all things are from God. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given. Oh man, I really thought I could do it. I didn't. I almost wasn't going to get distracted. <laughs> uh, for her hair was given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, that is, out of all the things, this letter, they're fighting about so many things. Uh, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor do all the churches of God. They're saying, listen, all the churches, this is how we do it. Women cover their hair, uh, men don't. And he starts off by saying, now I commend you uh, because uh, you remember in everything to maintain the traditions uh, as I delivered them to you. The traditions are this idea that there's just these general principles that the apostles would explain to the church as they planned a church they're like hey and this is how we do this and this is how we do that and for the most part they kind of do that they're like this is how Paul said we should do this in the church so they do uh, and so he prefaces it with a positive maybe you heard about this the positive negative sandwich positive then you say something really critical to someone they're like oh but it's positive 
And Paul's good at that. He said, you're doing really well. Your head coverings aren't good. Uh, you're doing really well. <laughs> and so he's, he's nuanced like that. He's, he's a good guy, a good leader. Um, but that's really what he did. He said, you're doing really well. You're holding to these traditions, but th- this head covering thing, you're not really holding to that. Um, but then actually he just opens up at verse 17. He says, uh, we stopped reading, but then he chan- transitions to how they're messing up the, the Lord's Supper. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. And then he really opens it up, uh, verse 17, but that's a s- separate topic. So this is Paul addressing the church. And he's saying, we have a problem uh, w- with head coverings. They're, they're divided over the issue. And, and what I, actually is a beautiful opportunity to see something so almost really trivial about head coverings is that w- what he does is he goes very deep on the issue and uh, brings, brings some beautiful truth to bear on why this should even be an issue for them. See, the problem, uh, I think, oftentimes we would agree in our present moment or culture is that it's actually very hard to be a woman uh, sometimes. I can't say I, I speak that from experience, but I, uh, I sense that talking to women because I, I do talk to women. Um, <laughs> um, there, it, it's hard. It's a hard time to be a woman in a lot of ways. Um, femininity in a lot of ways is actually really uh, dishonorable or, or dishonored uh, in our culture. Uh, there's a lot of pressure for women, uh, particularly f- to see femininity away from the family, which is trying to like draw a square circle. It just doesn't make sense. Why would femininity be apart from the family? Um, but that is where our culture is pushing women to say, well, you need to be feminine, and that means you need to go out and do more and more and more and accomplish more and more and more. And just all of a sudden, the family is not? Or being a mother is less than? Or you need to go make a name for yourself in the corporate world, which is all great. And many women are, are obviously gifted and, and geared toward that much more than any men, and she, she can do that. Go ahead, that's wonderful. But there is a principle here in Scripture of the very nature of the reality that women bear children and men do not. And therefore, there's always going to be femininity and family together. It's, it's the nature of how God has made us. There's dishonor and blurring the lines. We hear through the news uh, cycle that comes to us uh, week by week is the competition of uh, you know, gender dysphoric men deciding that they can run faster when they're women. And you're just like, well, that's great if you think you're a woman and you beat all the records. And that's, but that's dishonorable. That's just disrespectful, you see. The lines are being blurred. Um, it all would have started, and this is one I was talking about with a friend recently, um, uh, 2015, uh, Bruce Jenner was labeled the woman of the year. I mean, that's just disrespectful to literally every other woman in the country. <laughs> I mean, that's the, it's, it's a hard time for femininity. You know, the, the, the woman of the year is the woman who everywhere loves her husband, serves and sacrifices for her family, waking and sleeping hours, literally giving of her own body to the person inside of her, who actually models the beauty and the gospel of Jesus Christ by dying to herself to produce life, reorienting 
her calories and energy to feed another and produce life for nine months. And then after that, it only begins to continually sacrifice and die to yourself every day to produce life. And I'm sorry, but in some pitiable way, and it is sad that the, the poor man has a mental disability, but he cannot walk into a surgery room and walk out and be crowned with glory and honor as the woman of the year. Because there is an honor here that Paul is speaking about. A dignity, a distinction that must be given to women. And it is her glory. It is her crown. It covers her head. And that is the woman of the year. There's a dishonor in being domestic. Women literally put this as a verse. Titus 2.9. There a woman is literally called the despot of her home. The dictator of her home. It is her place. It is her battle station. It is the place where she commands and controls. And it is the place where she rules the world. See, God gave not only Adam, but Adam and Eve the commission. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now you can see, obviously, that Adam needed a helper for that. Wasn't going to get very far, being fruitful and multiplying by himself. But this is the thing that people forget. There was a second part to that, where God also says, subdue and have dominion over this earth. Now that wasn't just given to Adam. That was also given to the woman. That she should also subdue and have dominion over the earth. And so as the famous poet, William Ross Wallace, about a hundred years ago, an American poet said, in capturing this, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Now God has wired the world this way. And secularists, and anyone opposed to God, and even in the garden, Satan himself knows that he has to get the woman's hand off that cradle. Because the woman will rule the world. In fact, Jesus has conquered the world by coming through that woman. And this is how spiritual warfare is fought in the nursery room. Restoring the honor of femininity is found in the glory of the gospel. I want you to understand, Paul says, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The idea of head here, many would try to say, is like source, like the headwaters of a river. But that's not entirely the full picture. Headship has to do with authority. That there is a sense in which the man has Christ as his head. And there is a sense in which not just the woman, but wife, has the husband as head. That's the distinction, first off, within the gospel. Is that it is not, 
as though all men are ahead of all women. It is the context of a covenant of love in which only one particular man, the husband, is head of only one particular woman, the wife. But then even then, he opens that up and says this beautiful thing that the head of Christ is God. And so if he was just drawing a simple totem pole or some type of hierarchy where there's a head here and then a head above and then a head above, it wouldn't make sense to say it the way he did. It would make more sense if he said, the head of the wife is the husband, the head of man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. But he leaves the head of Christ being God toward the end and mixes up the order. All to say this, when he says that there is this thing called headship over men and women, he's pointing out the fact that if you think this is not a dignity, if you interpret what I'm saying right now as oppressive and dishonoring to women to be under the headship of one man who has bonded to love her as Christ loved the church, in that context is what we're talking about. If you think that is not dignified, then you must not see the dignity of Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is under the headship of the Father. And Jesus Christ is no less glorious and God, true God of gods, than the Father. So what is Paul getting at here? And remarkably, it has all to do with this remarkable thing of head coverings. For the gospel is this, Christ Jesus was in the form of God, not equality Counting equality with God as a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, even death on a cross. Right? Why? Therefore God has highly exalted him, exalted him above every name that could be named. Where is the dignity of femininity? It is going under so that you'd be lifted up. It is realizing the principle Paul is saying is the headship of being under submission as Christ was, so that he, as Christ was, exalted above everything. That the Father launched him up into the stratosphere. That it was his glory and dignity and honor to be subjugated to human flesh and to obey the Father into human sacrifice. So that at the back end of it all, he would shine like the sun in glory and honor and for all the praises in the book of Revelation that every creature in heaven on earth gives him glory and dignity as if he were the ancient of days. That's the dignity of femininity. And it is contrary to all the lies of our present age. This honor comes by distinction. There must be distinction if there is to be dignity. Jesus distinguished himself as the mediator. The father commanded. He was the head. He said, go and save. Submit yourself lowly for them. Open up your veins for them. And he did. And when he did, he distinguished himself as the mediator. And as the mediator, he is glorified. He is made much of. He is honored. And in the same way, the gospel comes to femininity and says, live, sacrifice. Your name is Eve in Scripture. You are the mother of the living. Now live by dying. Make life through death as Jesus did. Serve your family. Serve your children. Give everything you have. And your children will praise you in the gates. And you will have a crown of glory and honor in a society that will acknowledge you 
as being woman. And they will open doors for you and they will bow for you. You will be unique. You will be honored. And that is so different than where we presently live. So to restore that, Paul comes to them and says, listen, this is not just about head coverings. There's something else here. Honor comes from crowns. Now see, we could read this and say, no, 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 no. It seems very constricting that this is Paul constricting women to dress this way. Well, it could be a constriction or it could be a crown, a constraint. He says, the man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. While a wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. See, without distinction, men look like women and women look like men. That's why he goes on to say, well, if a wife won't cover her head, it's the same as if her head, her hair was shorn. She shaved her head. It's the same as if she looked like a man. That's the principle behind head coverings. The whole point of it, Paul is saying, is to show the distinctions, accentuate the distinctions, bring them out. Let black be black and white be white. Let yellow be yellow and blue be blue. Let that be beautiful. Blossom the flower. Don't just paint black over the whole canvas. There's no beauty there. So the distinction comes from uh, dignity that comes from distinction. And so here is public worship. Paul is saying when you pray or prophesy, that is in the context when the church would gather like this in the time of the Corinthian church, he would say this is what we do in all the churches. Women cover their head and men don't. Because when we come together, we want to dignify or distinguish men from women. It's a public appearance of things. And that actually makes sense when you consider this weird angels passage. That he says, now wear head coverings because of the angels. You're like, oh my gosh, I wasn't even, I have like five problems in the world and that wasn't one of them. I thought we were talking about head coverings and not even about angels. The point is that you and I need to realize right this moment, when we gather to worship, we are launching into the heavenlies. See, when, when Jesus said, the Father is looking for those in John 4 to worship in spirit and in truth, the best interpretation of that is in the spiritual realms. That's what he means by spirit, not in the Holy Spirit, but in the spirit, in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly places. He is looking for people to worship up there. And the reason all worship is useless worship apart from Christ is because God doesn't care what you do apart from the blood of Christ. Your worship does not reach heaven apart from Jesus Christ. Now he's saying to this church who worship in the name of Jesus, put your head coverings on because by the way, angels are watching. You actually are worshiping with them in heaven. Hebrews 12 says this, You've come to Zion, the city of living God, New Jerusalem. Two innumerable angels is when you worship. You're worshiping in the presence of innumerable angels. And so this covering, some would say, is it, is it a covering of long hair piled up on top of her head? Or is it literally a cloth that she would place on her head? And it seems like the most likely one would be that it would be a shawl or some type of cloth they're talking about. That she would place it on her head when she comes to worship at church. Now, this idea Paul is pulling out is he's using a literal head covering on a literal head to explain the spiritual truth. That there is a spiritual head covering over 
having a spiritual head. And so he says, if you show this symbol, the way you present your head in public is demonstrating your spiritual relation to the head in your life, namely your husband, that you actually are under his headship and you are honoring him by having this on. Now, this is all cultural. If you notice, there's two things that aren't in this room right now. Mullets. Thank you. And there's no head coverings here neither. They're irrelevant. It's cultural. The point here is not head coverings. But the point is having this distinction. Now we want to say, well, feminists would like to say, well, this covering is just a constraint. This is an idea of patriarchy or men having control over women. It's a symbol of oppression. But the gospel comes. It says, no, 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 you don't know Christ. This is not a constraint. This is a crown. This is something to dignify her. This is something to beautify her. This is something by which we say, that is like the crown. That was placed on the Lord Jesus when he conquered my salvation. He is distinct. So a famous writer said this. It's almost impossible for a culture to read this without pitting the genders against one another. We pit race against race, gender against gender. We could not. This would be a microaggression. If I went on to a university and read 1 Corinthians 11, they would throw tomatoes at me. Because they are so cooked up on wanting to fight for power. They think like Marxists. But how about we read this like Christ? A famous writer once said, If I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the flower beside the fruit, And if I set the town beside the country. And if I set the man beside the woman. I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. God made them both. What is the beauty of the sun? Is not the moon glorious in its own right? What is the great deep depths of the ocean compared To the soaring mountains of the landscape. Is one better? They have their glory. And their beauty. Because they were both made to do what they do. To the glory of the one who made them. What is man? And what is woman? Are they not glorious? The cultural coverings on this head has nothing to do except more than difference of a hairstyle. It has to do with what was done in the day. And so Paul is saying, when you come to church, do it this way because you are Romans. And Romans do it this way. It says something in the culture if women don't cover their head. So the sign for a man to actually have his head covered, in a lot of pagan cultures, like in Rome, they would, uh, the Isis cult was a big deal. They worshipped uh, that way, pagan worship, and men would cover their heads when they worshipped pagan gods. And so Paul says, men, we don't do that. You don't cover your heads. And so a woman, if she were to go outside, if she were to go outside with her head uncovered in public, it would be a sign that she is available. 
It would be a sign that she is withdrawing from her matronage, from her husband and her house. If she didn't have her head covered, it would be a sign or suggestive at least of sexually provocative behavior appearing to be available. It would be like a man or a woman going to the bar and then taking their ring off, saying, I, I'm not taken. I don't have anyone. And so now you see, this is head coverings in their culture. This is why it's a big deal. And Paul says, no, 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 women, when we come together, I don't care what the new, and people suspect it could have been a new fashion where women started to not wear head coverings and things were changing. It's like, I don't care what fashion it is. Right now, you have to honor your husband, especially when you come together for worship. And so he says in verse 5, a wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now that could be literal or metaphorical. She dishonors her own head. She presents herself to be that kind of woman in society. But she dishonors her spiritual head. She takes that off and she dishonors her own husband. Saying, I don't want anything to do with you. Or I don't respect you that much. Or I don't want to be identified with you so clearly in public. I don't need that head covering. And that is not her dignity. That is not her honor. So the blurring of these distinctions creates a very bad type of fashion. I know maybe you remember looking through pictures. You look at these pictures from 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and you see the fashions of the past, right? And you see the um, very bright colors of the 80s and the coats, and you're like, man, at one point in time, you thought, I really want to wear that in public. And you did. And then you, watched that, you saw that picture 20 years ago, and you're like, why did I wear that in public? And this is what it's like, the cultural norms of the day. But without distinctions, there's no beauty. And that's where I say, I'm coming back to this, the mullet. Is it long? Is it short? Well, I don't know. And that's why it just didn't seem right. <laughs> now, I feel like this, the mullet's not, it, it's literally contrary to First Corinthians 11. It's not, I'm not joking. Um, I feel like we would look back on this age right now, I mean a generation from now, when we get through whatever this is, and someone's going to say and going to look back at this whole gender thing and the third wave of feminism, whatever we're riding out here in our culture, and say, boy, that was one ugly mullet. Man, I can't believe they, like, really, like, men were women, women were men, and they were competing like that. Like, I think, because nature will correct itself. This is Paul's point. Nature will correct itself. See, the honor of femininity is in two ways to be restored. One, by placing crowns in the culture and finding those crowns in creation. There are crowns for women. We close with this concept. The crowns that need to be placed on women's head in our culture and also from creation. This is Paul's reasoning. This is how he argues. The cultural consensus, right, should flow. He says this. Does not nature itself teach you that a man wears long hair, it's his disgrace, and a woman wears long hair, it is her glory? Now that does not mean that literally it is naturally obvious from the created order, as in a scientific way, that men should have short hair and women should have long hair. Actually, if you read in Acts, Paul says for the sake of a vow, he lets his hair grow very long. And then you get to the end of the book of Judges, and the Bible um, glorifies Samson, a strong man for having long hair. 
It's not about the length of the hair, he's saying. He's saying, doesn't nature tell you, you as Roman citizens, and knowing the way men and women are distinguished in your culture, mind you, they wore togas and skirts, right? Men, come on. What? Right? You wouldn't catch me, right? Like, but see, that's culturally irrelevant. At that time, at that time, men had short hair. It was distinct, and it meant a lot. And women had long hair. It was distinct, and it meant a lot. Therefore, doesn't nature tell you this? Bring out the distinctions. It is natural to distinguish. It is natural to create beauty by distinctions. You cannot paint a masterpiece of art with one color. You cannot beautify a culture if you do not have different colors in the genders. There has to be a difference. Whether long hair or short, your kilt or a toga, it doesn't matter, but it has to be different. That's what nature teaches. Paul's saying, isn't it natural? Don't you know that men and women are different? Don't, and that's crazy. Don't you know? How relevant is that verse? Does nature not tell you this? Make the distinctions. Put crowns in your culture. And the crown for their culture was this head covering. Nature teaches this thing. There are three primary colors. This is natural law. There are three primary colors. Red, yellow, and blue. If you don't have red, yellow, and blue, you don't have pretty. You don't have art. You don't have other colors that come from these primary colors. There are three natural blocks to the culture. Men, women, and children. If you don't have these, if you don't mix these colors together, you don't get a corporation, you don't get a church, you don't get a government, you don't get a military. This is the building blocks of society. Now, if men are red and women are yellow... Doesn't nature tell you you need both those colors to make beautiful pictures of a rainbow? Do not smoosh the colors together as if they are one. They are not one, it's not beautiful, and it won't work. Society will crumble. And this is where we're at. And this is Paul speaking to the honor of femininity. And the last one he is, and the most beautiful one, I love, deliberately ended on this one. The crown. The crown of women not only comes from what we should see in the culture and the distinctions there that nature teaches us that. The crown of femininity is found in creation. This is so beautiful. Paul says it this way, and it sounds so ugly if you read it with modern ears. Now he says, man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. And then he says this, woman is the glory of man. And immediately you want to say, well, how come he gets to be the glory of God and I have to be the glory of man? That's like being a copy of a copy. Well, first off, Scripture is clear that men and women are both made in the image of God. right? But Paul is making a point here. It's a beautiful point. It's a beautiful point. He says that men are to cover their heads because they are in the image and glory of God. And then woman is made in the glory of man. And he says the two reasons for this is man is not made by woman, but woman came from man, that is, out of Adam's rib. 
Neither was man created for woman, but woman was created for man. She was created to be the helper, to come alongside and support what he's doing with her own gifts and calling and her own particular abilities. They work together as a team. If they don't work together as a team, it doesn't work. Now, why can't she be described as being the glory of God? She is. She is. But even in a more beautiful way. See, like progression, you could have a ladder that goes up. And our society loves looking at the whole world hierarchically, patriarchally, power structures, bottom rung, middle rung, high rung. There's a ladder that goes up, right? And you read the verse that way, you're not going to like it. Seems like man's up here and she's down here and she's just a little image of man, right? Not the image of God. Glory of man, not the glory of God. You read it that way, you're going to be offended. And you should. That's not right. You could take that ladder, and progressives love this. Sideways. Society's always getting better. Man can do it. We got to the moon. We got it all figured out. We don't need God. Humanity is progressing. Evolution, we were there. We were a little monkey. Now look how smart we are. We have phones. We have phones. All right, relax. Right? Like, that's, that's the secular humanist progression. Right? Now, the scriptures are beautiful. The scriptures teach, and I hate this word, patriarchal progression. It's patriarchally progressive. Wow, is that an oxymoron? Patriarchally progressive. That is biblical. That is what Paul is saying. First off, yes, the scriptures are patriarchal. We call God Father. Okay? Yes. And that's not ugly because it's patriarchy within the context of the gospel. And it is progressive. And the beauty of this verse is this. The progressive reality is that we take the ladder this way and we put it sideways. And then you read the passage. The woman is the glory of man. But no, there is the glory of God the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's the glory. Why did Jesus incarnate as a man, not as a woman? There's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as that man. And then there's the glory of man being that image. And then there is the glory of the man, which is the woman. She is the glory of his glory. Does that sound kind of familiar to something? There's this temple. And there's this outer court. And you're approaching the awesomeness of God in this temple. And you come into the inner court, which is called the holies. Do you see where I'm going with this? And you go into the inner sanctum of the inner court, which is called the holy of holies. The red hot presence of Yahweh. That was a progression. When God created the world, he loves creating from glory to glory. In the first day, he made light and dark. And he said, that was glorious. That was good. I'm going to go to sleep and get up tomorrow and do it again. And he got up and he said, now I'm going to make the sea and the sky. And he said, that was, that was awesome. And he praised himself for his awesomeness, which he should. And then he goes the next day and he takes the earth and he makes it fertile with plants and animals, more plants and flowers. And he says, that's good. And he glorified the previous creation with greater glory of the next creation. And then the fourth day he made light 
for the sun and the moon to govern the lesser light of the night. And he said, that is marvelous and glorious. And pagan cultures for centuries will worship this thing. And then he filled the ocean and the sky with fish and birds from the previous second day when he made the sky and the water. And that was glorious enough, but the animals in there are amazingly glorious. It's more glory on top of that glory. And he's making the world from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And then the sixth day he made man. And he said, this is amazing. Look at him. He is in my image. And then he said, go to sleep. And he took his rib. And this is how a feminist would never want to read the verse. And he pulled that rib out. And he made woman. And that is glorious. The very last thing he ever created. The glory of the glory of the glory of the glory of all the glories of all creation. That woman would come out because the only thing in all creation that was not good, apart from the fish and the oceans and the waves and the flowers, it was not good for man to be alone. She is glorious. And that is what it means when Paul says, she is his glory. She is his boast. She is his fame. She is his beauty. She is his name. She is everything that is valuable to him. She, the way she conducts herself, either dishonors or honors him. It either makes him look great or makes him look bad because it all depends on her. She is that image of beauty. So put a head covering on. You see what he's saying there? And closing here, last, yesterday we had a wedding. There's a beautiful wedding, and you see it so beautifully in the progression of a dance. See, a dance, no one looks at a dance and says, well, I wonder who's winning. They're dancing. They're dancing. And when they dance, they move progressively across, side to side across the dance floor. And Alex was dancing with his brand new bride. And she, I told, I leaned over to Heather and said, her cheeks have to be hurting. She has not stopped smiling. Like literally, I could count every one of her teeth for like 30 minutes. It was amazing. It was awesome. And she's smiling, dancing, and she's looking in his eyes. And they're moving. And you notice the dress. And that's really what you notice because that's the nature of what's left in our beautiful culture. And it sways. And then what he did is he let her out further. And this is the progression. He, image, glory of God. And he in the dance move, captures this theology. He moves her out, and they, they, they hold arms, but she extends like a rope. And when they lock and go farther, the tip of her skirt comes out. And she's beautiful right there. And she's beautiful. Boy, does that make him look good. She's the glory of man. She's his glory. Now that is a beautiful passage. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. What I just gave you was the gospel. Jesus is the glory of God. And any woman who wants to try to do that, she will have many crowns. She will be honored. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you 
for this word, this wisdom that you've given us. It is marvelous. Lord, we thank you for femininity. We thank you for every woman here in this church. We thank you for mothers and spiritual mothers. We thank you for their gifts. We thank you for how you made them. Lord, we celebrate them. We pray, Lord, for this honor to be in our society as we find it not from anything else except the only thing that changes is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that we would see the glory and honor of Christ and the glory and honor of women. And that if we don't honor the women in our life, Lord, we ask that we would repent now and change our ways today. In Jesus' name.